Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we kick off the new year, we invite you to tune into our current series, The Forgotten Virtue, Learning to Love Again, where we'll discover how God defines love, Christ personifies love, and the Spirit empowers us to love one another. Together, we'll experience healing and hope in the love God designed for us, a love we carry through every season of life. Well, like I said this morning, we get to start a new sermon series in this new year. We're going to be diving into the book of 1 John. And the book of 1 John is a very powerful book. It's a really telling book about us knowing whether we are in Christ. And it's written from uh, the apostle John, and he's writing to churches that are facing false teachers who are telling them that knowing Christ is truly just a mental ascent and is knowing the facts about Christ. Really, it's interesting because in the society that uh, they lived in that day, knowledge was prized over everything else. And so uh, as we look at this text, we're going to see today what it means to truly know Christ and how we know that we truly know him. And really, this series in general is called The Forgotten Virtue. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at the forgotten virtue, which is the virtue of love. Now, it's really important when we talk about terms that we define them, because as we use the word love in our current societal context, it means something different than what John is talking about here in his text and what Jesus talked about throughout the scripture. When we hear this word love in our culture today, I think some of the words that come to mind is happiness or affection or a feeling. Love is defined as acceptance, or love is defined as something that I can get out of a relationship. Love is something that you can add to your life, and it makes you feel better, and it also means that you accept others. We kind of see that in our society today. Yet we have to ask the question, how does the Bible define love? Whenever we look at words in the scripture, we need to understand how it affects our societal context and how our context that we're living in, the culture we're living in, may change the way we're viewing certain words such as love. So first, we need to understand that God is the definition of love in the Bible. It actually says in 1 John that God is love. So love is actually defined in the character of who God is. The second thing that we're going to be seeing here is that love is sacrificial. You see, Jesus himself defines love In John, he says that greater love has no man than this, than to lay down his life for a friend. And also we see that love is action. You know, when we look at scripture, we need to use scripture to interpret scripture. And so we look at this word love, one of the greatest, uh, one of the greatest passages on love is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and we're going to look at verses 4 through 8 for just a second here. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So as we look at love, we need to keep in mind these two words, sacrifice and action, because it's going to change the way that we view our text today. We see that love is patient and kind. It's not envious or arrogant. It's not rude or self-seeking. 
It does not rejoice with wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Love is part of truth. Rejoicing with God's truth is part of loving. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. This is a different type of love than we think about in our culture today. And this idea of sacrificial love is one that our culture really doesn't understand, and it's one that we have to understand more deeply. In fact, actually recently, uh, AARP Magazine actually did a survey of those 18 and over who say they believe in true love. And one of the questions that was asked was, would you sacrifice for true love? Now, overwhelmingly, there was a very small number of people who answered that they would sacrifice for true love. Less than 21% of people said that they would sacrifice for true love. So when we come to a text today that talks about love, the idea of sacrifice is something we're not even really thinking about. And so we must think about those two things, sacrifice and action. Because today we're going to see in 1 John, the big idea of today is that to know God is to love God. And as we look at this forgotten virtue of love, we're going to look once again at what it means biblically and redefine what the word love means. Now, as we look at this text, uh, we want to see that this is written from the Apostle John, who is one of the disciples of Jesus Christ. He's one of the inner circle of Christ. He's actually one of Christ's closest friends. Uh, Also, this was written by John and a group of others who actually had witnessed Jesus. Um, it, It says here in 1 John 1, verse 3, that which we have seen and have proclaimed also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Well, who is the we? Well, we see here in verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our own hands concerning the word of life. The people who are writing this text, John and those around him, have actually been with and seen Jesus Christ. So there's somebody that we should listen to. They walked with Jesus. And so as we see, the overall theme of 1 John is fellowship. They wrote this, that we would have fellowship and communion with one another. That's the word that's used here. It's community. It's, it's common unity with one another. Also, verse 4 says, And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Yet even as equally important in the book of 1 John, John wants to give his readers an idea if they have true faith in Christ or if they do not have true faith in Christ. This is a theme that we see throughout the book of 1 John. John lays out if you are a Christian or if you are not. If you are truly a follower of Christ or if you are not. He's very plain and he's very straightforward with how he lays it out. So as we preach this text, it's very important to look at it for what it says and to proclaim these truths in order that we would be encouraged if we are those who are in Christ and we know him and we love him and we love his people and we love his word 
or to be challenged if we are those who have grown up in church, who've sat in church chairs every single week, who maybe went to Awana and know some scripture, uh, or maybe you're somebody who goes to church on Christmas and Easter and from time to time just because that's something good to do and you claim that you're a Christian because of that. We have to look at this and we have to see the encouragement and the challenge in the book of 1 John because this is written by Pastor John to his beloved children and he wants wants to challenge them, and he wants to also encourage them. And what we're going to see within this is we're going to see tests of being a Christian. Today, we're going to talk about them as tells. Uh, Stacy and I, a, a couple years ago, we watched this show called Lie to Me. Now, if any of you guys have ever watched this show, it's, it's about an expert in deception. He understands how to tell if people are lying or not. And what would happen is these different police organizations, they bring him in and they bring in a criminal who they don't know if they're telling the truth. And he can watch this person as they're interviewing them and the way by they shift their eyes, how they move their body, whether they blink or not. He can tell if they are lying. Well, what we see here in 1 John are tells of being a Christian and tells to know if we truly know Christ. And so let's go ahead and read that text together. 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 11. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which Jesus walked. Now as we look at this text, it's very straightforward. And the concept that it's talking about is do you know Christ? Now whenever we study scripture, one of the things that we must do to help us understand what's important in the text is to see what words are used more than one time. As we look at this text, there's one word that's very prevalent. It's used four times and it is the word know. Now, within the Greek language, there's a couple different types of no. One is a mental assent, an understanding, to be sure of something. It's, it, it's grasping a concept. Then there's another type of no, which is actually to experientially, intimately know something. It has to do with relationship and true experience. Both types of no's are mentioned in verse 3. It says, and by this we know that we have come to know him. This first know is a mental assent. It's an assurance. It's an understanding of. We can know the fact that we know him. This knowing is an intimate knowledge. It's experiential. It's a relational knowledge. It's a true and full knowing. So we can know, be assured that we know him. Well, how? If we keep his commandments. It's interesting that knowing Christ is couched within obedience to God's word. Knowing Christ is, is understood by obedience to God's word. That's one of the tells. That's the first tell that we know Christ. We obey his word. One commentator puts it this way. According to John, knowledge of God is a robust concept that covers not only what you know about God, but also includes a personal relationship with God that begins with faith. It also includes an ever-deepening relationship and fellowship with God that is 
evidenced by love for him and obedience to him. You see, as we look at this text, we once again have to remember that this is written by John to churches where there are false teachers that are coming forth and saying that truly all you have to do is have this mental assent or understanding to know Christ. And what, and what John is saying is that, no, you have to follow him. You have to have a heart for him. And in that, you are going to obey him and keep his commandments. This word keep, it, it's a word that means to guard something of value or something that is treasured. It's endurance and perseverance. It's this idea of obeying God's word continually and continuing to desire it within our lives. One of the greatest shows that a person is in Christ is if they love God's word and they want to follow God. Now, does this mean that it's always easy? No, because the word of God is hard. It's very difficult to deny our flesh. Yet Jesus says if someone is going to come after him, we must deny ourselves, pick up his cross daily, and follow him. That means we have to die. We have to die daily to ourselves in order to follow Jesus. And so it's never going to be easy, and none of us are perfect. We're told that we will be perfected, but there's bad news within that. We're not going to be perfected until the return of Jesus Christ. So until that time, we're going to continue to be working out what it is to follow Christ and to know him. Yet there should be a heart desire within us to know God, and we should want to keep and treasure his word. It's a question we should ask ourselves. How do we view the word of God? Do we treasure it? Do we desire it? A couple of weeks ago, we looked at uh, two examples of, of guys who, who understood the treasure and the value of the kingdom of God. One of them had a pearl of great price that he found, and he, he went and sold everything he had in order to buy it. Another, he found a treasure hidden in the field, and he took everything he had and sold it so that he may buy that field. The idea within this is that we treasure the word of God, we treasure the ways of God, we treasure the truth of God so much that we would give up anything for it. Truly, as God works in us, as the Spirit lives in us, it is only those who are in Christ and only those who have the Spirit in them that will desire to do God's word. Because quite frankly, the word of God is completely contrary to what our flesh wants sacrifice is not a natural thing. We do not want to sacrifice. Our natural desire is to get and be selfish and go after everything that we want. Yet the word of God calls us to sacrifice and to keep God's word. We want to make ourselves God of our lives. Yet the word of God says to make him God of our lives. But the beautiful thing is, is that the commandments of God are not meant to be burdensome. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. So when you come to Jesus, you get rest, and then you get this yoke. Now, yoke was something that was used to, uh, that oxen would use to, to pull a plow, and it would go on their shoulders. And, and what Jesus says is, my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Yes, when we come to Christ, we get to serve him, yet it is an easy yoke, and the burden is light. Well, Why? Well, because as we learn Christ more and we follow his word more, we see what it does in our lives. 
we see that true freedom is actually found in obedience. True freedom is actually found in obeying the word of God. Galatians 6.1 says that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. The freedom that we have is to follow Christ, obey his word, bring him glory, and in that find true joy and peace and fulfillment and all of these things the world always wants to search after in everything else besides God and his word. It is freedom to obey and follow Christ. Again, this is a continual work within us, but there's this desire to want God, to love him. And so as we look at his word, we have to be those who keep his word because we know that he is the God who deeply loves us. In the Old Testament, he's defined as the one who is abounding in steadfast love and mercy. Continually, we see throughout the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, the grace and mercy of God, a God who knows what we need before we even ask him. A God who wants to work out all things for our good. A God who loves us more than we can even conceive. A God who actually says that we are his inheritance and his treasure. This is the God that is saying, obey me. And he's saying, obey me because he knows what it is to live according to his word and his ways. He's the one who created everything. And he knows what truly is a good life. He knows what truly is our best life now. And our best life now is not getting everything that we want, getting all the cars and the houses and all of those things and finding our fulfillment in that. Jesus isn't our lottery ticket. Jesus isn't our genie. Jesus isn't the one who comes along and gives us everything we want. Jesus is the one who comes along, demands our life, and then truly gives us everything that we need for life and godliness. Jesus Christ is truly the one who will fulfill your life, will give you true contentment, true joy, true peace. And if you surrender your life to him and you realize that following his word and his ways will give you true freedom and joy, there's something that springs forth within us that want to obey and follow him. And that's what he desires. You know, many of you know that um, Stacy and I have... Uh, three kids and one on the way. And, and uh, Kara Joy, she just turned five January 1st. She's a New Year's baby, and we were able to celebrate that birthday. And what ended up happening is it just reminded me of how blessed I am to be able to, to have these kiddos. And, uh, but I know that as a dad, probably one of the greatest pieces of sanctification in my life is my children. Now, I would say for all of you to say amen, but many of you have your children set up next to you so you can agree with me uh, below the table. No, but, but, but it's a beautiful thing, and we learn to love, and we learn to break our selfishness, and we learn uh, to be able to truly love our, our, our kids. And, but the reality is, as a dad, we have, we have things within our home that they can do and that they can't do. The reason we put the boundaries in place is because we know what's best for them. Now, as a dad, do I want begrudging obedience when I tell one of my children to go up to their room, and they stomp up the stairs, slam the door, and say, fine, I'll clean my room. Is that what my true desire is? No, my desire is for them to want to obey because as it was beautiful. It was such a cool realization a couple of weeks ago when Kara had cleaned her room and she woke up the next day and she comes out smiling and she says, huh, I love having a clean room. 
I feel so much peace. Yeah. God is a God of order, not chaos. Yes. Yes. And this idea of this heartfelt obedience, that's what God wants from us. He wants us to know him and out of that to obey him. And we're called to keep his commandments. And it's something that springs forth from us. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So it's a tell of a Christian. If you don't love the word of God, if you don't love the church, if you don't love God, if you don't want to pursue him, if you want to live your life based upon whatever you want and whatever you desire, and you couldn't care less what God wants, you better ask yourself if you truly know Christ, because John would say you don't. So we have to be challenged within these things, and we have to know that we truly know him. Now, if you're somebody who truly desires the word of God and wants to pursue him, even though in your life you may continue to sin, because we're all going to continue to sin until the day of Christ Jesus, you can be assured that you know Jesus and continue to follow him, continue to pursue him, continue to keep his word. Yet Jesus says that every tree will be known by its fruit. And I think it's really important that we look at these things and we ask ourselves these questions because one of the things that is in our churches today that I think is destroying many people is this idea of easy believism. Now, what I mean by easy believism is this idea that because when you were five years old or you were 10 years old, you walked down an aisle, you prayed a prayer, you signed a card that you're saved. Now, let me acknowledge that there are many people who've come to know Christ by walking down an aisle, praying a prayer, and their life was truly converted, and there's fruit within their lives. Yet somebody who gave their life to Jesus at five, yet never lived for Christ their entire lives, lives for the world, and they don't know Jesus. They have no desire for the church, no desire for his word, nothing. That person, according to John, would not know Christ. So we have to always look at these things. And John is saying this because he loves these people. And he doesn't want them to be, he doesn't want them to be led astray. That's why we teach hard truths from the word of God, because we love you. Uh, and we want all of us to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Talk to many different pastors, and uh, the estimate is that 40% of people who go to church on a Sunday morning don't truly know Christ. Jesus says, wide is the gate that leads to destruction, and many are those who find it. Narrow is the gate that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So may we ask ourselves, do we know Christ? And one of those, uh, the, the, the defining factors, the tells of being a Christian, is that you want to obey the word of God, and you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Yet it's very important to, re to realize that there's this culture that we're in today. Uh, John MacArthur, a pastor out in California, also a r prolific author uh, in probably one of his best books called The Gospel According to Jesus. If you haven't read it, highly recommend it. Put it in your Amazon cart, The Gospel According to Jesus. He says this, The gospel in vogue today holds forth a false hope to sinners. It promises them they can have eternal life, yet continue to live in rebellion against God. Indeed, it encourages people to claim Jesus as Savior, yet defer until later the commitment to obey Him as Lord. It promises salvation from hell, but not necessarily freedom from iniquity. It offers false security to people who revel in the sins of the flesh and spurn the way of holiness. By separating faith from faithfulness, it leaves the impression... That intellectual assent, that idea of knowing, is, a valid, is as valid as wholehearted obedience to the truth. 
Thus, the good news of Christ has given way to the bad news of insidious, easy believism that makes no moral demands on the lives of sinners. It is not the same message that Jesus proclaimed. When we look at the gospel, we have to ask the question, what did Jesus say? Jesus says, in order to follow him, you have to deny yourself, pick up your cross. Now, that's not something that hangs around your neck on a chain. For them, that would have meant crucifixion, torture, death. Pick up your cross and follow me. He says, if you don't hate your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brother, your sister, even your own life, you're not worthy to be his disciple. We are not worthy to be his disciples. What he means by that, this word hate, it doesn't mean this, this hatred. It means this idea of prizing him above everything else. To see Christ as supreme over everything else in our lives. That he would be our greatest love. So may we be those who desire to follow God, to obey him and to know him by keeping his word and to truly experience freedom and joy. The second tell we see is to know him is to love his people. 1 John 2, 7. Beloved. See, he's writing to them as his beloved children. He loves them. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word you have heard. At the same time, it's a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. The second tell that we see if you, if you know Christ is that you love the church. You love your brothers and sisters in Christ. You love what God loves, his body, his church. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. 1 John 3.11, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. He talks about this idea that this is an old commandment, yet it's a new commandment. And that can get a little bit confusing. But what it's actually saying is that if you look at the Old Testament, if you look at all of the books up until the New Testament, you see that God is calling us to love one another. God is calling us to two things, and Jesus defines it. The Pharisees come to him, and they say, which commandment is the most important one? He says, the way I'd sum up the whole law is in two commandments. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. The second thing we're called to is to love the body of Christ, to love brothers and sisters in Christ. The reality is, is that we have to be aware if we have hatred for a brother or sister in Christ. This word hate is a very powerful word. It means to detest or be disgusted by. Really, you think of this person, it makes you want to throw up. Now, does this mean that we're always going to get along with all believers in Jesus Christ? No. We see conflict happen in all sorts of different churches. Church meaning the followers of Jesus. This is an expression of a local gathering of the universal church. 
And so uh, we see throughout the scripture ways that we go to brothers and sisters in Christ and we reconcile with them. Matthew 18 says, we go to them, we talk to them, we try and work it out. Our desire within it is to restore the relationship and restore the person. Yet if you hate Christians and you claim Christ, you should ask yourself if you truly know him. Do you love the body? Do you love gathering with the church? Do you love being with his people? Think about it for just a minute. What is the church described as in the Bible? The bride of Christ. Now I know there is no one on this earth I love more than Stacy, my bride. And God's bride is the church. And if we love Christ, we should have a love for his people. Do we love his people? Or is there hatred in our heart for a brother or sister in Christ? If there is, we should start working within ourselves and, and start working through that, that hatred and to go to that person and talk to them. And these could be very real hurts and conversations that need to be had. But, but we cannot have a heart of hatred and really, this idea that we're talking about here is this continual hatred. It's this pattern. As we look at 1 John, there's these ideas that he's talking about. He says, if, if you, if you are a claim to have no sin, then you deceive yourself and the truth is not in you. And then he goes on to talk about this idea of a pattern or a lifestyle of sin. Christians will sin. And there's a teaching called sinless perfectionism that's taught out of this scripture that is completely off base. And it says that Christians will be perfect. If you've known anybody in any church or any Christian, you know very well, or if you've looked in the mirror and you're a Christian, you know very well that Christians are not perfect and will be perfected at the day of Christ Jesus. Yet, if we have patterns in our lives of hatred and sin, we need to ask ourselves if we truly know Christ. The other question we have to ask is, do we want to gather with the saints? Do we want to be with his people? Do we want to come together with one another? I want to pause for just a minute and, and speak to those who are gathered with us online today. It's been nine months uh, since COVID has come into our country. Um, and there's been many who have not been to church since that time. Now, there's very legitimate reasons for this, health reasons or, or, or being cautious because of, your, of the vulnerable category, or really it is against your conscience to come and be here because you feel you're endangering somebody or, or, or it is against your conscience. You've got to work that out with God in your heart. Yet there are some who are not gathering together because it's more comfortable to be at home. Uh, there are some that are not gathering together because when you get out of bed in the morning and the couch is there and you can sit down in your PJs and turn on the service, it's a lot easier uh, than gathering together and coming. Or it may be because of care. It may be because you don't want your children disrupting the service. Well, the reality is, is that we love kids here. Uh, we want to be able to gather with one another. Part of the beauty of being part of the family of Christ is that it's a family, uh, and family can be disrupted at times. So bring them, come. We miss you. Uh, we want to gather with you. We want to come together with you. Hebrews 10.25 says, Do not neglect meeting together as in the habit of some, but encourage each other all the more as you see the day approaching. Friends, the return of Christ is closer now than it has ever been. 
The return of Christ is closer now than it has ever been. And so I want to encourage those of you who are allowing pajamas or, or couches or really nice breakfasts instead of coming and gathering with the saints to come and gather because the gathering of the saints is a beautiful sweetness and we need the body of Christ. We need the people of Christ and we need to come together with one another and be with one another and encourage one another and we need it more now than ever. And so we love you, we're praying for you and and we want to encourage you to come back. And so as the people of God, we have this love for others within the church. We have this love for God. We, we, we love our brothers and sisters, and we care for them. So as we close out the sermon today, I want to just give a summons, a, a challenge. First, for those who don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, today can be the day of your salvation. Today can be the day where you turn to Christ. You may know a lot about God, but you've never truly surrendered your life to Jesus. If you're giving the reason that you're a Christian, that your parents took you to church, or your parents are Christians, or because you sat in a pew each week, or you sat in a chair each week, or you know John 3.16, or because you're a good person, or because you go to church on Christmas and Easter, then you don't know Christ. And so if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the beauty of the gospel, which is good news, is that you can know him today, that you can give your life to him today, and that you can live a life that is different than any life you've ever experienced, that you can live a life surrendered to Jesus for the glory of God, looking to an eternity that is unlike anything you can ever imagine. And because he is worthy for us to surrender our lives to him and worship him. It's realizing that we're sinners and we miss the mark of God's holy standard, which is perfection, that we can never keep that on our own. It's turning and saying, God, I'm a sinner and I repent before you and I give my life to you. I want to live for you from this day forward. If you want to surrender your life to Jesus, please do not leave this place today without talking to me. Grab somebody. We want you to know Christ. We want you to truly understand what it is to be in Christ. I was that kid who prayed a prayer of salvation when I was five, when I was 10, when I was 12. I didn't understand sin. I didn't understand that I committed treason against the holy God. I didn't understand that I needed God's grace to forgive me and cleanse me. True surrender for me happened at 20 years old. The reality is, is that if you never surrendered your life to Jesus and your life looks just like the rest of the world, there's no fruit or tells in your life that you're a Christian. And so I don't want you to leave here today without surrendering your life to Christ. Because I know for me, there were many messages that I left that if I would have died in the drive home, that I would have gone straight to hell. And my deepest desire is for us to know Jesus and for us to truly follow him with everything that we are. For Christians, do you love God's word? Do you love his people? Let's make a new commitment this year to have fervency and passion for God's word. Let's make a new commitment this year 
to get to know God's people. Man, it's so easy to walk in those doors and walk out those doors. Yet we have life groups. If you're not part of a life group, please get signed up. We want to get you connected with the body of Christ. Because Christianity is realized within community. We have this beautiful picture of Christ and the church and how they're one and Father has fellowship with the Son. This whole book's written, the, the theme is fellowship. May we have fellowship with one another. Let's ask each other how we are and let's pray for each other. Let's get to know each other enough so then we can be real with each other enough to say, how's your week? Oh, good. How was yours? Oh, good. That we can say, man, my week was awful. You know, my grandma's in the hospital and she, uh, she needs prayer. You know, something like that. Or, or I'm really struggling. I need prayer. And this is, this is realized within life groups. That's, that's why we do them. Pray for each other. Study God's word with one another. Encourage each other. Know how we can spur one another on to love and good deeds because we need to be spurred on. So may we go forth today and may we ask God what he wants us to do because of this. Because we need to dive into his word and we need to love his people. Because love in the scripture is seen in two things. Action sacrifice. And Jesus lived it out. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his life for a friend. And then he went and did it. And he died on a cross. Because of his love sacrifice and action. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.